Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my ambition. Episode 67 here on the Hooper's Log. It is a post-Super Bowl Sunday, Monday, here on the Hooper's Log. Episode 67 here on CLNS Radio, through the Blog Talk Radio studios, in the FanDuel studios here on a Monday after the Super Bowl, Monday, February 8, 2016. And we are now four days away from All-Star Weekend. And now basketball officially takes over the landscape. Now, I know we're going to have some... Uh, you know, some vibrations still from the post-Super Bowl talk and all that kind of stuff for the next couple of days, and I understand. But the NBA and college basketball is now here to take over the land of the sports landscape until baseball opening night, and then after that, it get, baseball opening week, and then after that, it's pretty much all basketball from here all the way until the beginning of summer when we go through the NBA finals. Obviously, the Super Bowl was last night. Also, some big news today. As the as as Derek Fisher got fired today, I am I am stunned by this news, Andrew. Can you really fill me in on what's going on with this firing? I am I don't even know what's going on anymore. I don't know what to believe. Coaches are being fired left and right just because they can't compete with certain teams in the NBA or because they're not meeting expectations or blah blah blah. But Derek Fisher should have been fired. If he should if he would have been fired, he should have been fired in the off season because clearly he was not ready as a newly retired NBA player to be a head coach in the NBA was not ready. Clearly nobody, everyone knew he was not ready. And for him to now be fired makes no sense considering the team is only what 23 and 31. They're playing unbelievably above their ceiling. And for him to be fired now makes no sense. Fill me with this, Andrew. Well, something I think, and it happened with David Blatt, it happened when Mark Jackson got fired, all these things that, that people are missing the point on is it's not um, it's not firing a guy. You know, they're not firing the guy who the team was 18 wins last year and already has 23 this year, whatever it is. They're firing a guy who they think they can replace with somebody better. Um, the reports already came out that Tom Thibodeau wants the job more than anything in New York. He would crawl to Madison Square Garden, I think the report said. Um, yeah. And... and, and you have to believe Phil Jackson, the Zen master, has a plan in place. Um, right. the, the, he's the kind of guy that doesn't do something without being three steps ahead of everybody else. I'm going to guess Tom Thibodeau's that, that plan. Um, and, and Stan Van Gundy kind of pointed something out that I think might have got the attention of Phil Jackson. Uh, 
you know, this is a brand-new ball club. This isn't the team from last year where it's just no talent, nothing. This, is, this isn't this is a young team. This isn't a team that has a bunch of pieces who you're waiting to grow into their spot. Their starting lineup uh, is Langston Gall- Galloway, who's, you know, young and, and maturing, and he's not that great. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a solid player. Okay, then you have Aaron Aflalo, a seven-, eight-year vet. Um, Carmelo Anthony, uh, a perennial all-star. Um, Christophs Porzingis, young, yes. And then Robin Lopez, uh, you know, a, a solid player. This isn't a team who's supposed to be growing into their team. When you look at it, when you actually look at it, and people don't – people just think, oh, they were bad last year. They must be, you know – maturing and young, but that's not the case. This is a veteran team with young pieces that is good enough roster-wise to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And look, coming into the year, I didn't realize it. I, I don't think anybody did, but Stan Van Gundy kind of pointed it out. He, he said, I don't know why this team, at the time they lost 7 out of 8. I don't know why this team lost 7 out of 8. They have good pieces. This is a great roster. This is a playoff roster. And a lot of people took it as he was taking a shot at Derek Fisher. Um, and, and and now it kind of looks like he was, but he was in the right. He was he was correct. He knew what he was talking about. Well, Stan Van Gundy doesn't talk unless he knows what he's talking about. And and it, it's the truth the more you look at it. So I think Phil Jackson got, got sick and tired of, you know, while everybody else is playing that this is a young team card, he looked at the roster that he assembled or helped assemble and he said, no, this team should be in the playoffs. If Phil Jackson was coaching that team, they're in the playoffs. If Steve Kerr, who they originally wanted, is coaching that team, they're in the playoffs. Um, and, and I think they made the decision uh, that they want to better their franchise now. Don't run a risk of losing somebody. If somebody fires their coach, don't think Tom Thibodeau isn't on the top of their list as, as candidates go. Uh, they don't want to run a risk of not having the chance to get him. And, and – I think the politically correct answer is why would they fire a guy when the team is so much better this year than they were last year? Well, they spent $50 right. million dollars this season, you know, for, for just this year, uh, you know, like $200 million over the lifespan of the contract, and they have a team that should be in contention for a playoff spot and not losing seven out of eight games. Uh, Derek Fisher does more in- staring. Go ahead. I was going to say the interesting thing is – they also have other candidates like Luke Walton and Brian Shaw involved in the situation, but it, it, this is a, this is a question I think we need to start asking like our guests. And I feel like if you'd like to call in, the phone number is three two three six four two one five five eight. Again, the phone number three two three six four two one five five eight. You know, we were talking about bringing on Coach Nick on again eventually. He would be the perfect guy to ask for this scenario because he knows coaching like no other. And for us to get a perspective, a real perspective on why this is happening. I mean, it's really like the pillars of coaches are falling down. They're not great coaches. These aren't unbelievable coaches. These are just kind of -of run-of-the-mill coaches. But for them to be fired at the time that they're getting – and, I mean, David Blatt, you wouldn't necessarily say as a – I mean, he's a great coach overseas, but in an NBA-wise, he's just run-of-the-mill. But when it comes to like overall coaching perspective, these guys are just being let go like it's nothing, and it's and I under, and I get again I understand the long term idealization of this, but why not do that near the end, if not by the end of the season? Why do it in the middle of a time when it's right before the All Star break, when it's right before the trade deadline? What does that really do for the team? I mean, and I get that, and I get if you really put it into perspective, after the trade deadline is really when the new kind of season begins because that's when you have your new team so I get that idea 
But it's also interesting because it's like you don't get an opportunity to get new free agents at this time because no free agents leaving where they're going unless they want to be traded. But but they won't be signing new contracts, so you still have to deal with that circumstance in the off season. So why not deal with it in the off season? It's it's just it's all fascinating. And you had something else you were going to say, Andrew, before I cut you off. You know, I I don't remember what I was going to say because you, when you started talking, you mentioned Luke Walton, and all of a sudden it popped into my head. What if they stole him away from the Warriors in the middle of the season? I think that would yeah. be very interesting if they took Luke Walton from the Warriors, you know, right before the playoffs. And not saying that that's going to hurt, kill the Warriors, but I think it hurt them a little bit. I mean, Luke Walton proved he's a very, very good coach. Um, so, I, you know, that, I'm rooting for that now. I'm rooting for the Knicks to steal Luke Walton. Not only would they be stealing him from the uh, Warriors, but it kind of looks like they'd be stealing him from the Lakers. As if I had to guess uh, before today, I'd say he was the next head coach of the Lakers. But uh, So I think that's an interesting scenario that could come up. It would feel like it would feel like a steal of the league. Cause think about this: Luke Walton has been a guy that, like you said, the first two months of the season, this was the best coach in the NBA. Period. I mean, period. Because this team has been the best team in the first fifty games, tied for the greatest start in the first fifty games. We'll talk about that game later on here in a little bit between Oklahoma City and uh, and and uh, Golden State here in a little bit. But I'm telling you, if they steal him away, you're right. I feel like this would create the tension that the NBA needs. Because there's been this talk about how the NBA has been kind of boring and been kind of this and been kind of that. I know us as basketball fans, it's been unbelievable, me and you, Andrew. But when it comes to the generic sports fan, they've been saying it's been boring from the perspective of there's no villains, there's no this, everyone's a good guy, everyone's, you know, loving Kobe Bryant when it's really weird because Kobe's always been a villain. It's always been it's been kind of weird this year when it comes to the vibe of the NBA because everyone's been kind of a good person, you know. We look at it from a very in-depth perspective, but for the average fan, they're kind of like, eh, it's just the good old two-shooty NBA, you know, acting like they're hard when in reality they're kind of, eh. You know, and, and I can see that, and I can really see that. But if this were to happen, if Luke Walton were to be coaxed into going to the Knicks, you know, the last two months of the season, and all of a sudden he went there in the next week or so, or maybe they're even talking about getting him as head coach in the offseason, which I would understand completely that that would be the case. But if they did take him in the middle of the season, that would put serious intrigue on whether this Golden State team could stay together. Because when you dismantle a coaching staff of a really good team, that's when questions start to get asked, will they stay through the course of what they're doing? I don't think they would. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying the Golden State Warriors would drop off and lose like 10 games. I wouldn't say like 10 games in a row or something like that. But they definitely might have a different mindset, and they might lose a little bit of their edge with Luke Walton leaving, if that were to be the case. A lot of things going on. A lot of – this is – I'm telling you, this month, I, we talked about January being the dog days of the NBA and the separation month, which is proven to be. February is the month of turnover. There is turnover amongst the league everywhere, rumors everywhere. Your job is not safe. Sponsorships are freaking out this time of year because they don't know if Blake Griffin's going to actually go to the Nuggets, which is a big rumor. I don't think it'll happen, but it, but you never know. What if Blake Griffin gets traded? I don't know he's hurt, but what if he gets traded? What if someone else gets traded? You start to kind of see the lowering of sponsorships when it comes to individual players because the NBA doesn't know where they're going to go. The NBA has no idea what's going to happen. For all we know, you could have you could have big old blockbuster trades the day before the trade deadline, and it screws up the entire NBA from the standpoint of promotion, and, and, and that could actually happen. This is the month of turnover, and considering a guy like Derek Fisher has now been fired, the Knicks have really got 
and, and it's been mentioned, there's a lot of pressure on Phil Jackson to succeed now, a lot. Because now he took one of his guys, and now he let him go. And now the conversation of Brian Shaw, who is also one of his guys, Luke Walton, who is also one of his guys, you know, and Tom Thibodeau is clearly in the mix, and I, would, I think that would be the best fit for them. But Phil Jackson's always been kind of, these are my guys, and I'm going to run them my way type of deal, which has always been successful. He's one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach ever. Could be seen as the greatest player coach, the best player manager ever in the history of the NBA with talent. I mean, you could literally, you put an all-star team together, Phil Jackson's going to make them a winner. That's just, and that's really, and that's really easier. That's easier said than done because we've seen it over time that teams that have been all-star laden material haven't necessarily gelled. Well, Phil Jackson has always found a way to gel. I'm not saying the Knicks are that. I'm not saying they're anywhere near that. I'm just saying Phil Jackson's always been the one to get the guys he wants and he finds a way to keep them and win successfully. Andrew, you want to talk yeah, about Super Bowl uh, 15? What's up? Real quick, two more quick things. The the story also came out about Rondo. Uh, maybe a big target of theirs is Rondo. Um, you know, he yeah. didn't want he said he didn't play in the triangle. And then what if Jeff Phil Jackson team? says, I'm going to coach the team for the rest of this year, and then we'll see what happens. That could happen. I could legitimately see that happening where Phil Jackson would just say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting – Get me out of this press box. Get me down to the court. Let's go. I'm going to be the coach. I could see that. I could see that happening. And there's also been rumors that, you know, I don't know, before all this happened and obviously before the Super Bowl, uh, George Carl's been seen as potentially being moved out of Sacramento, which makes absolutely no sense because he has found a way to gel this team the way that I don't think anyone thought they could see happening. I said before the season this was a boomer bust team. They haven't necessarily busted yet. They're still a booming team, and they're still playing outstanding. And DeMarcus Cousins is playing the best basketball of his career right now, and he's, it's been shown that, he's, that he hasn't really had any, any problems with George Carl. Now, before the season, clearly, but during the season, there hasn't been any problems with that. If anything, there's been good things coming out of that camp. So it's interesting all the things we're seeing in the NBA, and I agree with you from the perspective of if they get a guy like Rajon Rondo or Jeff Teague in New York, that changes the whole landscape of the thing because then instantly they have a big three. Whether we like it or not, Mello, Porzingis, and a, a solid point guard, that's a big three. And w- is it a great big three? No, but it's a doable big three. And with that growing youthful uh, youth slash you know veteran mentality that the Knicks already have and this us-against-the-world mentality kind of mentality they're taking this year, that team could come into next season, and they could be the team that could win 45, 50 games in the Eastern Conference, and they could contend with a team like Cleveland in the East. I'm not saying it will happen. I don't think it will, but it, that, that is a possibility if they were to grow their own big three. Andrew, Super Bowl 50 was last night, and it was one of those games. I, I'm just going to sit here and say it. First of all, both Andrew and I were wrong, but I'm, I, I – I don't want to water it down by saying it, it felt like it was set up. I'm sorry. I, I honestly feel like the last three Super Bowls have been to a degree set up. To a degree. Now, I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying that, that that's where it's going and that's what this is happening in, in the world of big-time sports. But you, you cannot sit here. And this is where I need to rant for, for like a split, like 30 seconds. That you cannot sit here and tell me that that Jericho Cottry drop was a drop. That was a catch. The ball, he caught the ball in his hands. He bobbled it real quick. He regained control, came down to the ground. His arm was underneath the football. And then at the last moment when he was down, the ball kind of moved a little bit. But it was proven. The ball never touched 
the ground. Last time I checked, when I played sports when I was young and I was playing out in the yard, you know, with a bunch of kids and stuff, if the ball never touched the ground and you were down, even if you were juggling it, oh, by the way, is David Tyree's catch not a catch? I'm just saying, that's one of the greatest catches in NFL history, and it was up against his helmet. He didn't have possession, but that's not a catch in today's NFL. I can guarantee you that would not be a catch in today's NFL. But, oh, we glorify it and say it's one of the greatest catches ever, yet when Jericho Cottry makes a legitimate catch on the ground, they don't say it. And the thing that also bothers me about this conversation about catches in the NFL and catches in general when it comes to sports, come on now. Let's just, let's just use the eye test and be logical about this. This guy, when he caught the ball, the ball never hit the ground. It just never hit the ground. I don't care he was bobbling it. For all I know, he could be at Cirque du Soleil juggling the football and juggling a whole bunch of other things. The ball never touched the ground. He could be juggling it all the way to the end zone for all I care, as long as he's in the end zone having some possession of it, as long as it's clear as day, which it was on the replay, and it was in the game. It's an absolute travesty that the NFL has turned into this three-ring circus of refereeing when it comes to catches. This was a catch. This was the clearest day catch I have ever seen. And the NFL is so, and I'm telling you, they are so fortunate that this happened in the first quarter. Because if this would have been a play in the fourth quarter, I can guarantee you this would be the conversation piece of the NFL from now until the beginning of next season. Because this was an absolute joke. This was a catch if I've ever seen one. And for it to not be withheld and overtaken as a catch is a joke. We glorify these catches that, quote-unquote, are you know, unbelievable. Odell Beckham, David Tyrese catch, other catches I can't mention right now that I forget to mention. Santonio Holmes catch in the Super Bowl about seven years ago uh, it, against, against the, uh, the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. I think it was 39 or what happened. Oh, I forget. But the point is, is with catches like that, those could all have been debated as non-catches because there was a, quote-unquote, you know, follow-through with the process. There didn't need to be a process. The ball never was caught. And the one thing before I let you speak, Andrew, I'm sitting there watching the game, and my girlfriend, and it's not just my girlfriend, it's everyone else I'm with, they're sitting there thinking, ah, he didn't really catch the ball because, first of all, everyone's kind of rooting for Denver because I'm living in Seahawk land, so bear with me. So so everyone's like, ah, I hate Cam Newton because he stepped on the 12th man. Like, shut up. Get out of here. Stop it. He's the best player in the league. He's MVP of the league by a long shot. 48 of the 50 AP votes got him in as an MVP. Clearly, no debate was the best player in football. And people hate him because he stepped on a 12th man flag. That's beside the point. The point is, I'm watching the game with people, and everyone's sitting there and thinking, oh, he never caught it. He never, he never had control of the ball. He never. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, can I leave? Like, can I, can I leave right now? Can I actually go and find a way to just disown myself from sports? Because I don't understand how people don't know that that is a catch. You gotta be kidding me, Andrew. Talk about that, please. And the game in general. Yeah, you know it's one of those things where you you talked on the game being rigged, and I I tweeted out last night at Talk B Ball Now. Um, I don't believe in, in the rigging of any sport besides for two scenarios. Uh, the NBA lottery, uh, I think, can be rigged. I don't think it is every year. I think when they see, you know, potential greatness, they do, like Ben Simmons this year. Uh, and then on top of that, the NFL in general. Uh, the reason the NFL in general could be rigged is for one simple reason, and that's because Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the National Football League. This is the dirtiest, slimiest, POS in all of sports, 
he's worse than Ray Rice. He's just as bad as Greg Hardy. Um, and it's because he has a chance to change these things, and he doesn't. He has a chance to fight against these head injuries, and he doesn't. He has a chance to make these players stop beating their girlfriends and their wives, and he doesn't. Um, but if they smoke weed, you better believe they're going to miss two years of play like Josh Gordon. Um, <laughs> but if they beat their wives two, two, maybe four games, depending on if there's a video, that'll do it. Um, the, you know, the NFL. But – this is something where I think nine times out of ten is – and I do think it was a catch. In fact, I know it was a catch, but I think nine times out of ten, these NFL refs being the jokes that they are, are going to call it not a catch. First, And I don't blame them for being a joke. They're part-time, okay? These guys yeah. – the NFL is an $11.5 billion company, and they won't pay these guys, you know, maybe one $200,000 a year to just be full-time every day, study, watch tape, do their things, because they're getting paid small amounts to where they're going to go work on the week and make more money for their family. Um, It's it's a joke. Um, And and you know what? I believe it led to that huge punt return, or maybe it was a turnover afterwards. It led to something. Oh, yeah, that was a joke. Yeah. And and it's just – and nobody knows what a catch is. There's no clear rule. But any time a guy's falling to the ground and the ball's kind of shaking around in his hands and it comes anywhere near the ground, don't bet on NFL officials to get it right. Actually, bet on them to get it wrong because it's, it's terrible. Well, after that play, after that play, and I saw every single replay that I needed to see to see if the ball touched the ground. The ball never touched the ground. And every single replay showed that it was – and even the, even the guys in the booth, Phil, Phil Sims and Jim Nance, were saying it, it, the ball never – they got that wrong. And, and, and then the other thing was when, was when Peyton Manning got sacked and they, they called it an incomplete pass. That was clearly wrong. And, and then that's when it started creeping in my mind like, well, maybe first of all, first of all, the, all the credit, and, and I will never take this away, all the credit needs to go to that Denver defense. Von Miller being MVP, perfect. I will never debate that. That defense came out and was terrifying. That was an unbelievable performance by a great defense on the, on, the, on the Denver Broncos' part. I will never debate that. They were unbelievable in that game, and Von Miller was definitely deserving of the MVP in that one. But when it comes to the game itself, the beginning portion, you kind of you saw a bunch of things happening – when it came to the way that things were being officiated, things were being figured out, things were happening, things were this. Cam Newton had a couple of plays on him where he, where he clearly, you know, where he clearly got, you know, got, got the benefit. He did not get the benefit of the doubt where he got hit late. Um, there was a couple of plays where, for example, uh, I know it's the Super Bowl and I know they would never do it, but Aqib Tlaib, he should have been ejected after that face mask. That was one of the most vicious face masks. And the NFL always, always harps on safety. And that face mask that he put on, I believe it was Ted Ginn, if I'm not mistaken, that face mask he put on that defender going to the sideline near the goal line, I instantly said, I told my girlfriend, and she's very, she's very uh, sketchy when it comes to, the, comes to like, hit hard hits in the NFL. She does not like watching hard hits because it, it makes her kind of shiver. I said, you're going to want to, you're going to want to turn your head on this, on this face mask because it is, it is vicious. And that would have been one of those, 
especially with the fact that he had all these penalties before that with the, with the unsportsmanlike conduct and the this and the that. And I understand the magnitude of the game and the motions are high. But that face mask was so brutal and so vicious that I honestly think that this was any other time in the NFL, if it was a regular season game, that guy's ejected. How do you not get ejected on that kind of face mask? The guy clearly came up, and I know he's trying to make a tackle, but the guy clearly came up, and he ripped down the offensive player all the way down to the ground with a face mask. And with the safety of the NFL – uh, you know, is talking about and promoting and all that. That play was like the exact definition of what the NFL does not want to see. And clearly they they, they, they flagged it perfectly. And it was funny because, again, I was sitting in a room full of people watching the game, and we're talking about how lame these, these calls are and these hard hits and these unsportsmanlike penalties are over the top and ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, the key to lead proves everything about the game, why they're being so soft, is because of plays like that. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, Huh? What are you talking about? I'm like, you didn't just see him tear his head off with the, with the face mask? He almost tore his neck off, t- tearing him down to the ground. And everyone's like, oh, I didn't really see it. I'm t- I told him, watch this replay. You might want to cover your eyes. And they were like, ooh, that was bad. I was like, yeah, because he almost tore his head off. That's the NFL. Like, this is what they do. They hit hard. They're violent. They're vicious. Guys like Bill Romanowski were on shows this week leading up to the Super Bowl talking about how he didn't give a damn about anybody when he got on the field. He wanted to brutally take you out of the ballgame. Rodney Harrison talking about how he wanted to take people out in the middle of games. Guys like, uh, guys like uh, who else was like, there was another guy on, on oh, uh, uh, John Lynch talking about how he wanted to absolutely massacre players on the field. This is the NFL. This isn't powder puff football. This isn't lingerie football. This is the NFL. These are guys trying to take out people's lives, literally. I mean, not trying to kill them, but they're trying to end their career on every play. That's what these guys' mindsets are going into these games. Do they want to end someone's career? No. But that's what comes with the territory. This is a man versus man, fully, like, like testosterone-filled, violent game. And, and for people to think that, you know, oh, they, they need to they need to do No, this, is, this has been the NFL for over 50-plus years past the Super Bowl, past the Super Bowl era. All those MVPs you saw in the, in the pregame stuff, with these guys like Terry Bradshaw and all that, you saw those guys come up. All of those guys played in an era of football where guys were looking to end your, end your career and put your life at risk. That's just what their mentality was. Did they really want to do that? No. But when it came to the mentality of the game, that was what they brought to every single game of the field. And so when I see all these unsportsmanlike conducts and all this, it's like the NFL trying to police itself to say, oh, we're trying to – be an example for society. If you want the NFL to be an example for society, you might as well just take all the pads off these players, take off every single thing that they have, put on flags, and have them run around and play like they did in the Pro Bowl about a week ago. I'm telling you, if you want the NFL to be like the modern-day version of society where everything is so beyond soft that it's just it makes you hurt sometimes, maybe for me, I don't know about you, but for me, and, and if you watch this, you would say play like the Pro Bowl. Put flags on them, play like the Pro Bowl. Do that, because that's what the modern-day version of, the, of, of society is expecting. Everyone's soft, and, and it's kind of creeping into And I know we're a basketball show, but this is the Super Bowl. We're creeping into basketball, too. How many times, Andrew, did we see this weekend? We're going we're gonna to transition now to basketball. But how many times this weekend did we see horrible calls where guys were barely touched, and they were like, oh, flag, oh, oh, penalty, let's put them to the line? Uh uh, the the uh, the Celtics and Cavs was a perfect example, and here's the game. He's right. Didn't let him have that left side. Thomas has the basketball, gives it up, storming for Bradley. Oh my God, that's the ball game. You gotta be kidding me. 
Man, I tell you. See, and that's the thing. That would have never happened if J.R. Smith's call on, I believe, was it Avery Bradley? Was it Avery Bradley that the call was made on? I, I believe so. Yeah, and, and, and that was one of the worst. That was one of the worst. Uh, uh, um, one of the worst fouls I've seen in, in basketball in a long time. And that I wouldn't say that called necessarily defined the game, but for the final five seconds of a basketball game, you're going to all of a sudden then call that. What, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? When when let's just say for example, if the bad boys of the Pistons played, we had Terry Foster on last week. By the way, if you want to listen to that episode. We had the bad, if you had the bad boys playing in an era of basketball, you know how many times those guys would be ejected per game? Like, those guys wouldn't even be allowed in the NBA anymore. It's, it's a whole different world in sports, and it's so sad to see things like this happen in the Super Bowl. Anything else you want to take from the game, Andrew? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a disappointing, extremely disappointing Super Bowl, um, but I just want to let you know that my Detroit Lions will be there next year. Yeah, without without Calvin Johnson and everything, the Detroit Lions will be in the Super Bowl. You heard or heard first here on the Hooper's Log from Andrew Calvin, Norris. Also, hey, my uh, Vikings coming back. Don't worry about it. Calvin's coming back, and the uh, frozen uh, resurgence of Barry Sanders will be back too. Also, the uh, the, the Minnesota the Vikings will be in the from twenty seven. Yeah, let's bet on it. On or come up with something to bet on, and we will bet. We ought to come up with something. I don't know what it'll be. If your Lions go to the Super Bowl next year, if your Lions go to the Super Bowl next year, I will believe the fix is in. Oh, that's you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if he came back. Are you scared to bet on it? I'm not scared to bet on it. I I think you're right. I think Calvin Johnson ultimately will come back. You know who isn't coming back though is Marshawn Lynch. That guy retired during the middle of the Super Bowl last night. That was banana stuff right there. I don't know if you saw that, but (laughs) middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah, right, right in the middle of the game, right in the right in the crucial moments of the of the ball game. Oh, deuces, I'm out. I'm like, okay, all right, well, there you go. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's get back to let's get back to basketball. One thing I know you got to go, Andrew, but one thing I want to talk about before you get out of here is Golden State and Oklahoma City. What did you see from that ball game on Saturday night? Uh, that I think there is a chance we see a Kevin Durant versus LeBron finals. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Uh, I think OKC's got a lot of things they got to fix. Uh, I think they could patch up a couple things at the trade deadline, uh, but I think we could see it, man. And I am, I, <laughs> I am hoping so much. Imagine this: if if OKC or if Golden State got Utah in the first round, Houston in the second round, and then it has to deal with OKC or the Spurs. I don't know. I think we might. Uh, I think Golden State might be tired because as bad as Houston's been. Uh, those are two tough matchups in the playoffs. When Houston wants to play at 100%, they're a good ball club. They just don't want to often enough. Some playoff time, they'll want to. Um, so I think that that is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. Who do you got for players of the week before you get back to work? Uh, the Western Conference, I have Kevin Durant uh, dropping 40-plus against the Warriors was huge in this. And then in the Eastern Conference, I have Kyrie Irving. I want to say he averaged like 25 points a game six assists, something like that, shooting 45 to 50%. He's been playing great. And nobody in the East really, you know, caught your eye too much, at least that I can think of uh, this week. 
The only guy that I see, honestly, when it comes to players of the week, Avery Bradley, because of the fact the Boston Celtics are now in the three spot in the Eastern Conference. I, I, that is an insane thing. I, being here on CLNS Radio, I did not think that this would come this year. I thought it would potentially come next year with an addition of a piece, but now they become a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference if they pick up a piece. If they pick up a big piece, that could be the big turning point for them in the second half of the season if they decide to trade for a big piece, a la DeMarcus Cousins, a la, you know, what if they decide to go all out and get Kevin Durant? I'm just saying, I don't think that'll happen, but if it did, they become an instant contender because I'm saying, uh, we said this all year, they're a really good team, they just need one piece. And if that one piece walks through the door anytime soon, they're scary, and then in the, in the West, I don't know how you couldn't pick Steph Curry. I could see the Kevin Durant pick. I really could. But Steph Curry is a guy that obviously has been the face of the league this past week, obviously with the Super Bowl and all that, and obviously with the way he played against Oklahoma City. He didn't play great in that game, but he played it well enough. He got wiped away his performance in that game, but he played well enough to get it done for them, and I think he'll get play of the week just also because of the Super Bowl going on and all that kind of stuff. Andrew, I know you got to get back to work, man. We'll talk tomorrow. Have a good one, man. Yep, yep, you too. And just real quick before I go, if this story about uh, LaShawn McCoy is true, I hope he never plays another snap in the NFL. Put aside from oh, that, yeah. guys. All right, Andrew, have a good one, buddy. Uh, busy, busy man there. Also myself, uh, you know, I, I, I do the show during the day. Uh, he does the show on at work. I work at night, so we have a really mixed schedule. Hopefully I can move to days eventually soon and get it all figured out. Uh, Kevin Hart did not make an appearance in this show. Let's get him in here. Kevin Hart. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. Uh, clearly a lot was talked about in that uh, in that first half of the show with the Super Bowl. I mean, how could you not? The Super Bowl was played on Sunday, and considering the way it was played, I mean, we had to get in depth about what was happening, what was going on. Um, I, I thought the game was relatively disappointing. I thought it was a very, very well-played game by the defense of, of, of Denver. But don't sit here and tell me that. There wasn't some form of, you know, it felt kind of shady, especially in the first half of that game with the way some of the things were going. And then obviously in the second half, Denver made the adjustments necessary to win the ball game. Credit to them, but their offense clearly was not good enough to compete. Carolina's defense was fantastic in this game. Denver just made the plays necessary to win the ball game. I, I thought it was a relatively interesting, interesting game. And uh, and for the way it went, I mean, it was it was just fascinating altogether. Let's get back to the NBA and get back to sports. Uh, why why we're here on the Hoopers? Line. We talk basketball. We do everything basketball when it comes to the world of basketball, and we're here to recap it for you. And I'm going to fly through some recaps here in just a second. Obviously, a lot happening in the world of hoops uh, over this weekend. I know a lot of it went went unnoticed because of the Super Bowl, but I'm going to fly through it for you. Pacers lose to the Hawks, 102 to 96. Paul George though at a whiteboard performance, 31 points, nine rebounds, six assists, and 52 on the whiteboard performance scale on Friday the 5th, 2016. But the Hawks got the victory, 102 to 96. Heat beat the Hornets, 98-95. Hassan Whites had a triple-double with 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 blocks. Wipe away the performance instantly on that one. And the Heat keep chugging along and getting the victory there. Clippers beat the Magic 107-93. And they got the victory. The Magic still struggling. And they've only won, I believe, three games in their last 20-25 games. They have not been playing good basketball as of late. And clearly, I think they've come back to earth. Wizards beat the 76ers on Friday. Wizards win 106-94. John Wall wipe away the performance. 18 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, 2 steals, a triple-double with a 53 on the whiteboard, the performance scale. Kings lose to the Nets. It looks like the Kings are kind of falling back. I know the discussions of George Carl being fired have been discussed, but I don't think that will ultimately be 
the scenario there in Sacramento. I think they're playing fine. They're still playing really, really well compared to what we thought they were going to do. But they played well in that one. And DeMarcus Cousins showed up in that one. He also got a triple-double. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 2 steals, a 61 on the whiteboard of the performance scale. And Rajon Rondo had 15 assists. That's automatically going to get you on the whiteboard of the performance scale. He also had 15 points and 3 steals. That adds up to a 48. Not quite a full whiteboard, but for it being having 15 assists, he's automatically in. Joe Johnson was the performer of the night in that one. 27 points. 11 assists, 6 rebounds, and 2 steals in the victory. He was the performer. Uh, 57 on the whiteboard, the performance scale. A long time he's been on in a while. Brooke Lopez also got in there. 26 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists at 50 on the whiteboard, the performance scale. The Celtics, the game I just showed, heard, you just heard the game winner on. The Celtics beat the Cavs 104-103. A big-time statement victory by the Boston Celtics. Sean Seal this radio. That was their 30th victory of the year. 15-12 and 12 on the road. You talk about a team that is now starting to make the conversation piece of can they hover in the Eastern Conference and make a big-time leap into a home court advantage in the first round? Will this team compete for a championship this year? Absolutely not. Will this team even win the Eastern Conference Finals if they get it? No. But if they can win a series this year and they can compete at a high level with some teams, I'm telling you, this team has the chance to pick up someone in the offseason or even at the trade deadline. And if they pick up someone big at the trade deadline and don't necessarily ruin their team, I don't think they're going to actually do it. But if they did find a way to pick someone up, whether it's free agency, whether it's not, whether it's this, whether it's that, this team could make a leap and get really far in the postseason. Will they go far and get the finals? No. The Cavs are still the team to beat, but the Cavs kind of been struggling the last week, you know, with Tyron Lue. You know, LeBron James had a good game, but he wasn't that great in that one. It's interesting to see what's going on in Cleveland, but the Celtics are really the hot team right now. In the NBA, Grizzlies beat the Knicks 95-85, excuse me, 91-85 in the victory there. Uh, Bulls lose to the Nuggets. Derrick Rose was a wipe away performance in that one. Jimmy Butler hurt himself. He got injured in that game, hurt his knee apparently. He might be out for a couple of weeks. I'm telling you, this Bulls team season might be done when it comes to the standpoint of getting in as a contender. They might not have a chance now with Jimmy Butler being gone for a while. They might not even get a home court advantage in the first round of the postseason this year. In the playoffs, that might that might not help them out. Now, if Jimmy Butler comes back and plays well, I think they'll do okay. But as you saw, Derrick Rose holding the keys to the car, 30 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, a 55 on the left board performance scale, not good enough to beat a team like Denver. Talk about disappointing. If you can't beat a team like Denver, and this is, this is basketball, not football, but if you can't beat a team like Denver uh, as the Chicago Bulls, now the Denver Nuggets have 20 wins, you're, you're looking at a pretty tough stretch. Of basketball, especially if you lose a guy like Jimmy Butler. The Bucks lose to the Jazz 84-81. The Jazz are now back in a playoff potential spot, 24-25 and after this one. Still hovering Rudy Gobert, playing great basketball, 15 points, 8 rebounds, 1 assist, playing good basketball there. The Jazz get the victory over the Bucks on Friday night. And the Spurs, again, winning on the road, 116-90 to over the Mavericks, 42-8 and in their first 50 games, uh, tied for their, their franchise record. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge had an outstanding game in that one with 12, 14 points and 10 rebounds. Um, if you'd like to call in and talk about the basketball Super Bowl, uh, anything you'd like to talk about, obviously, uh, Super Bowl 50 recap was here on the show today. 323-642-1558 is the number. And, again, the Celtics are absolutely on fire. And I, and I meant to mention that because they won last night as well on Super Bowl Sunday, this team has been playing out of their mind well. And I'm telling you, three, third spot in the Eastern Conference. They're now 31-22, and 22, only, only four and a half games back 
of the Toronto Raptors, and the Raptors are only two games back of the Cavs. This is going to turn into, if the Boston Celtics keep playing this way, where you're going to see right now we have three pretending teams, in my opinion, three pretending teams in the top four of the Eastern Conference. And the bottom four are really the, the, three, the four teams that I think have a chance to really go deep in the playoffs. Miami can go deep in the playoffs. Chicago can go deep in the playoffs. They're healthy. Indiana, if they get on a run, they can go deep. And obviously with, with, the, with the side that Detroit has and the defensive presence that they have, they can also make a deep run. It's really interesting in the East. It, it, it's, it's fascinating to see where Toronto, Boston, and Atlanta are. All have 30 wins, at least 30 wins. It's, it's a fascinating conundrum there. And in the, and in the Western Conference, again, the, the Warriors at 46-4, and four, San Antonio 43-8. and eight. They won again over the weekend. And Oklahoma City at 38-14, and 14, and, and the Clippers are right there behind them. I'm telling you, this is turning into really – we're starting to really see the makings of what to expect in the postseason in the NBA. On Saturday – a packed, I'm telling you, a packed, packed, packed schedule. And clearly the game of the night was Golden State at Oklahoma, or excuse me, Oklahoma City at Golden State the night before the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Saturday where they gave all the awards out. This was game of the night, uh, clearly. And what I saw in this one, I saw Kevin Durant in a zone that I haven't seen him in in a couple of years. Clearly he got hurt last year, but I haven't seen him in a zone like this in a long time. I'm telling you. I think if Kevin Durant was on a different team, a, I, I don't want to knock the Thunder, but they played a lot of one-on-one basketball in this game down the stretch in portions of the game where they didn't need to. They made a couple of bad decisions in the game that decided the game for them. But the way this Thunder team played in the fourth quarter, it leads me to believe that they're still good enough to compete and get make a deep run in the postseason if need be. I think they still can do it. And Kevin Durant's performance on Saturday was, was, was the sign of that. Performance of the weekend by far, Kevin Durant, 40 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, and two blocks. And I am telling you, that entire game, I was telling Andrew, Kevin Durant is mood. The way his mood was dictating the ball game, for the Thunder in that second half, because obviously the Warriors were dominating the first half of that game, but the second half of that game, that was the Thunder's ball game. And if the Thunder wouldn't have dug themselves such a big hole in the first half, this this Thunder team might have actually come back and won the ball game. Because honestly, if the, if the Warriors had kept playing as bad as they did in the third, in the fourth, the Thunder might have tied this ball game, and they might have gone to overtime. And who knows? Kevin Durant was going off in that game by himself. 73 on the whiteboard. The performance scale. Russell Westbrook also played fantastic. 27 points, 12 assists, three rebounds, and three steals. At 57 on the whiteboard. The performance scale. But Steph Curry was the guy in that one as they got the victory. 26 points, 10 assists, six rebounds, and three steals. At 55 on the whiteboard. The performance scale. Nonetheless, unbelievable basketball game. Everyone was talking about how the Warriors were dominating and blah blah blah. In reality. The Thunder, that final, the final half of that ball game, made the adjustments to stay within it and stay contentious to keep it close late in the game. Because honestly, the Thunder at one point they cut it to about they cut it to about you know two or three, and I think they even tied it at one point late in the ball game. The Warriors just at points in the game, and it, and it was proven that bench for the Golden State Warriors is one of the best benches we're starting to see start to grow itself because. We know about the starting rotation for the Golden State Warriors. It's unbelievable. It's an amazing starting rotation. But in this game and how this game played out, it was the bench that kept it afloat. If it wasn't for the bench's presence, and, and, and Steph Curry was not amazing. But, I mean, he was amazing. He had a whiteboard performance. But from the standpoint of his shooting, he was not on in this game. A lot of guys were not on for the Warriors. It was that bench that made it happen. Maurice Spates. Uh, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, 
those guys are the guys that are the true MVPs of this team. And, and at times, again, Draymond Green, again, found a way to implement his type of game, his muckety, muck it up game in this game, found a way to keep them relevant. This was really an ugly game in the second half for the Golden State Warriors, but they found a way to muck it up, keep that bench, keep it going, keep them staying pace for the Thunder. They found a way to keep it going, and that is a huge key for if they want to break this record of the Chicago Bulls. 46-4. and four. Look, they, all they got to do now is go 27-5 the rest of the way. That is, to, I mean, totally doable. They're 46-4 and four right now, 27-5. and five, They could do that. They really could. I mean, it, it's getting to the point now where it's becoming – Almost like it's, it's expected for them to do it now. If they don't do it, it will be a disappointment whether they win the championship or not. I think if they win the championship, that's obviously great. But if they don't get at least 70 wins, that's when you start to say, why did this team not win 70 games? Because they've been that amazing. They've, they're proving night in and night out. And this is the one of the parts they have to prove to become one of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, night in and night out, can they play like this? They're doing it. They're already doing it. And this is the time of year where it becomes more and more difficult to play games like this when your starting rotation is not playing well and your, and your, and your bench comes in and flourishes the way they did. That is where championships and legendary teams become relevant. The Miami Heat from three years ago, that bench, legendary. I don't care what you say. That starting rotation was obviously in its prime, but that bench is what made that team legendary. It was. Every time that team was struggling in the starting front court, in the starting court, and then all of a sudden the bench came in, it was domination city. They would dominate. They would take over a ball game for five-minute stretches, and, it, and no one could touch them. But then you see a team like the Warriors now playing streaky, great basketball, 23-0 and at home, playing unbelievable. And, and you're seeing it from them at a clip that, again, it's becoming legendary and becoming a, a point of conversation where it's like, is this team getting into the conversation of the greatest teams ever? And they are. They are. They are they're slowly starting to get into that conversation of greatest teams ever in the conversation. Are they there yet? No, they have a lot to prove still. They still have about two months to really prove that they're the best team ever. And then once they get into the postseason, they have to ultimately cap it off with a championship or at least come very close. Now, if they lose in like seven games to the Cavs, do I think anyone will discount them for being one of the greatest teams ever? I don't think so. I think people will remember it as being one of the greatest teams ever in regular season history. But to be the greatest all-time team, they got to win the championship, obviously. But when it comes to this team and how they performed on Saturday against the Thunder, unbelievable stuff there. I thought they were outstanding off the bench. And the way they, the way they performed off the bench is really what stuck out to me. And now in other games to mention, the Jazz, again, got another victory, 25-25, and 25, beating the Suns, 98-89. Uh, they got the victory there, and they found a way to pull it out. They're now, in, like I said, in the eighth spot in the Western Conference. Kobe Bryant was honored in San Antonio as San Antonio got the victory. That was a very, very close game that did not need to be as close as it was. But the San Antonio Spurs got the victory, 106-102, to 28-0 at home, 43-8 on the season. Lakers really kept it close, 106-102. to And Kobe Bryant was honored in San Antonio in a very, very classy way. I'm telling you, as a Spurs fan, we did it the right way. Kobe Bryant was honored the correct way. This is, for people to not say Kobe Bryant's a top 10 player all time, you're out of your mind, you're insane, and you don't know what you're talking about. Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest players to ever put on a pair of basketball shoes, basketball shorts, basketball, play the game of basketball, period. And for him to not be top 10 in some of these ESPN uh, all-time 
top 100 or top 10 marks is an absolute travesty. This is one of the greatest players to ever put on a basketball uniform. And honestly, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan and his unbelievable greatness back in the day, this would be the guy who is looked at as the greatest basketball player probably to ever play because of the standpoint of the way he plays, his mentality, his ability to try and score. He is that unbelievable. And for people to not put him at a top 10 spot is an absolute travesty and embarrassment to the game of basketball. That's just the writers, not the NBA. I think the NBA knows he's a top 10 player. But uh, when it comes to the NBA, I think that's where it gets kind of muckety-mucked up. Uh, Timberwolves again beat the Bulls. Like I said, the Bulls are starting to struggle a little bit. Obviously, they lost a guy in Jimmy Butler for extended time. Um, that's going to be brutal. But Gorgie Denning and Carl Anthony Towns really came out and played unbelievable on Saturday night. Uh, the Timberwolves win 112 to 105. Gorgie Denning, 24 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, a 57 on the whiteboard performance field. This guy has been a double-double machine, but this, this on this night, was a double-double with cheese. They played unbelievable. And if they can find a way to keep these big men intact in Minnesota with that talent that they already possess, this could be a team down the road where I'm telling you they could win with big, big size down low along with crazy athletic talent on the outside in the perimeter. This would be a team to be serious contenders down the road in the next couple of years. But this game was a, was a very good indicator that Carl Anthony Towns also had a weapon with 26 points, 17 rebounds, and three blocks of 54 in the whiteboard before the field. He went absolutely off in that game against the Bulls. The Bulls win, uh, excuse me, as the Timberwolves win, 112-105. to 105. Mavericks beat the Grizzly in overtime. I'm telling you, I think these two teams are – I don't know if they're necessarily going to meet up in the playoffs because obviously the Clippers are probably going to hold strong with that four spot. But this would be the matchup I would love to watch if they both played in the postseason because the Mavericks and Grizzlies are playing out of their mind and playing unbelievable basketball. The Mavericks – 114 to 112, 110 in overtime, getting the victory there. 29 um, 25, Grizzlies at 30 and 21. Unbelievable game there, nonetheless. Nets lose to the 76ers. Jalil Okafor, first by four performance of the season. 20, I don't know if it was his first, but he got a big one here. 22 points, 17 rebounds, three blocks, a 50 on the left for the performance scale. Nicholas Batum had a big one against the uh, against the Washington Wizards. He had a whiteboard-worthy performance, 26 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 1 assist shy of a triple-double, and 60 on the whiteboard-worthy performance scale as the Hornets win 108-104 to 104 over the Wizards. They're now two games back of a potential playoff spot and eighth spot in the Eastern Conference. That, I'm telling you, that team is playing really well. John Wall had another unbelievable game in the loss, 23 points. 10 assists, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, a 51 on the left board the performance kill. He played outstanding. Again, not good enough, though, as the Wizards couldn't win. The Pacers beat the Pistons 112-104. to I know Andrew didn't want to talk about it today, but the Pistons could not quite get it done against the Pacers. They're still in, the, they're still in a contention spot for the playoffs, but like I said, you got a team in the Charlotte Hornets hovering right behind the Pistons right now. They're right there, right behind them, and trying to get them done in the postseason. The Pacers are playing outstanding basketball as of late. And um, you also had uh, another game where the Cavs beat up on the Pelicans. Again, Anthony Davis, he had 24 points and 11 rebounds. Not enough for a white boy with performance, but that was outstanding. LeBron did not quite have a white boy with performance. They got the victory in Cleveland 50 games in, 20-4 and four at home, 36-14 and 14 on the season, playing outstanding of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now with Toronto at the helm. Um, and, and Kevin Love is out for an extended amount of time as well, but LeBron had a great game, 27 points, 8 assists. Not quite white boy worthy, but outstanding nonetheless. Uh, as, again, the Cavs get the victory there over the Pelicans. And then another, I wouldn't call it a shocker, but another game that really just proved why the Trailblazers are really, I think, I honestly think if you had to give Coach of the Year to one guy, and I know outside of Luke Walton, 
you have to give it to one guy. I would have to say uh, the coach for the Blazers, man, I'm blanking on his name right now, but you got to give it to him. 25 and 27, hovering around a playoff spot, losing four of their five starters, still in contention for a playoff spot in the Western Conference. That is a huge job, unbelievable job by the, by the Trailblazers, keeping their team afloat with the talent that they, that they don't possess and their ability to keep winning ballgames against good, good, talented opponents in the Rockets. And the Rockets played horrible in this one, only scoring 30 points in the middle quarters of this game, 13 in the second, 17 in the third. Trailblazers winning 96 to 79. James Harden, 33 points, eight rebounds, three assists, and three steals, a 50 on the whiteboard, the performance skill there for James Harden as they got the as the Trailblazers did get the victory though in that one. We do have some breaking news on the show. Uh, I'm getting some text messages from Andrew. Um, apparently, um, apparently the Warriors assistant head coach will not entertain head coaching offers until the off season. So what we were talking about in the show about Luke Walton being a potential candidate now will not happen. He probably won't talk about it until after the season. Why not? He wants to keep the Warriors afloat and keep them at the level that they're playing. Uh, Sunday games in the, in the NBA, there weren't very many, obviously, uh, on Sunday as the Super Bowl was taking place, but there were a couple of wet forward performances. Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins played outstanding on Super Bowl Sunday. DeMarcus Cousins at 31.7 rebounds, 6 assists, a 50 on the wet forward performance scale, and Rajon Rondo at 15 assists, 14 points, 6 steals, and 5 rebounds, a, fi- a 55 on the wet forward performance scale. But the score went like this. Celtics again beat the Kings 128-119. to They're playing out of their mind right now in Boston. Clippers beat the Heat on ABC. 90, uh, 193, getting the victory there. Chris Paul, 22.7 assists in the victory for the Clippers. Magic, unbelievable game. Nikola Vucevic with the game, winning shot on Super Bowl Sunday. Again, Peyton is the trigger man with a timeout to spend if they need it. Inbounds to Vucevic. Turnaround, following shot. He thrilled it! The Magic win! Big-time play there by Nikola Vucevic as they get the victory in Orlando, their first victory in a while, but they get it over the Hawks on Super Bowl Sunday, 96-94, that you could say was a uh, a sign of things to come as obviously the upset happened in the Super Bowl and the Nuggets got the victory over the Knicks, 101-96, the final game that Derek Fisher coached for the New York Knicks before getting fired today. Obviously, there's a lot of news spiraling through the NBA. Rumors are floating. Obviously, now coaching vacancies for the New York Knicks flying around. There's a lot of things to be talked about there in the NBA. But in the world of college basketball, obviously, a lot happened over the weekend. And for what happened over the weekend, it was crazy. Clearly, the standings won't come uh, not the standings. The rankings won't come out till tomorrow. Tonight, Louisville and Duke play. Obviously, both teams probably won't be ranked. Obviously, with Louisville being, being in her ban, uh, and Duke not being ranked, it won't be one of the bigger games to watch. But Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River shootout in in the world of the Big 12. That'll be a fun one to watch tonight on ESPN. But clearly, both none of those teams are ranked combined, so it will be tough to watch. Uh, Saturday, though, was a big night in the world of college basketball. Kansas State, Kansas State beat Oklahoma, number one Oklahoma, in Kansas State, 80-69. to 69. Oklahoma falling off. They might not be the number one seed coming in. Notre Dame also knocking off North Carolina, the number two seed in the nation, 80-76. to 76. Notre Dame with a huge upset the first time, and I believe it was six or seven years, that the one and two seed lose on the same day in college basketball. We're seeing it happen, and we're seeing a lot of things change 
in the world of college basketball. Villanova might be ranked number one after all this is said and done for this week. Villanova beating Providence in the Big East, 72-60, 20-3 on the season, number three coming into, obviously, this week. They might be number one uh, after the rankings come out here in the next hour or so. Purdue and Maryland, two ranked opponents. Maryland playing unbelievable, 72-61. Look, if there's one team that might get my prediction right now as champions in the NCAA, it's the Maryland Terps, 21-3. and I'm telling you, Melo Trimble, uh, Diamond Stone, this team is for real. They're playing unbelievable basketball right now in the Big Ten. They're playing absolutely out of their mind. Xavier beating Marquette 90-62, Kansas destroying TCU 75-66, South Carolina, huge upset on Texas A&M in the SEC, number eight, Texas A&M losing to number 25, South Carolina, 81-78 in the last minute of the game. South Carolina found a way to close that one out. And uh, in uh, Michigan State destroying Michigan 89-73, to Iowa State just barely beating Oklahoma State 64-59. West Virginia, big-time victory over Baylor, 80-69, and a big one there. Number 14 beat number 15, a fun one there. I thought that would be a classic. It definitely was not. Uh, Wichita State getting beat by Illinois State, reason why Wichita State will probably drop out of the top 25 again. Indiana losing to Penn State. Indiana was ranked coming to this one. They probably will be ranked after this game. And Arizona beating Washington 77-72. Uh, there were no real – I mean, there were some ranked games on in the world of basketball last night. No upsets, so none really to mention there. No ranked games on Friday. There won't be really any major ranked games in the world of college basketball for the next couple of days as obviously we're getting kind of into that period where we start to see the real team start to take effect. We'll talk more about college basketball tomorrow on the show, uh, but that's what I want to talk about in the world of college basketball for today. Let's preview the NBA for tonight. A, I believe a big time. Uh, what's the what's the docket on the NBA tonight? I believe there's ten games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I will talk about Steph Curry tomorrow. Actually, I'll make it more of a podcast. I'll go into the podcast of this show. This will be an hour long extended show. So this is an hour long show. I will extend it into the podcast for those listening to the live show. If you're listening to the Apple Podcast, no need to worry. You'll listen to the show. You'll hear what I'm talking about in just a moment. But I'm going to preview for what's going to happen on the, the for what's going to happen tonight in the NBA. Ten games in the NBA. Bulls, Hornets. Hornets have been playing out of their mind. Bulls have not been playing well. Six and a half favorites. Charlotte is take the six and a half and get it done. Cleveland favored by 12 and a half over the Kings. Take the Kings plus the 12 and a half. They're going to bounce back and play well in this one. Lakers, Pacers. Pacers favored by 11 and a half. Take the Pacers. They're going to get the victory there. They're going to win. They're going to win big. Clippers, 76ers. Clippers are favored by nine. Take the nine. Clippers are going to dominate. Not when Nuggets, Nets. Nuggets favored by a point and a half. Take the Nets. Nets have some talent. They've been playing well as of late. I think they'll get the victory over the Nuggets. Raptors and Pistons. I know Andrew will be watching this one. Andre Drummond versus Valanchunas. A fun one there. Toronto's favored by one. Take the Pistons plus the one. They're going to bounce back and get a victory there. Magic and Hawks, a rematch. A rematch of last night's game on NBA TV. I think the Hawks will bounce back and get the victory and win big. So they're favored by eight. Take the Hawks. They'll get done. Trailblazers favored by th- – uh, Memphis is favored by three and a half. Over the Trailblazers take the Memphis. They'll get the victory there. Pelicans, Timberwolves. Timberwolves favored by one and a half. Take the Pelicans plus the one and a half. They'll get it done there. Thunder and Suns. Thunder are favored by 13 and a half. Take them. They should absolutely obliterate the Suns tonight in the world of basketball. Got about a minute left on the live show of the show. If you want to hear my rant – Listen on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening live, thank you again for listening live. I, I'm more than blessed, and thank you so much for that. But I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into a conversation piece and a, a semi rant, but 
more of a, I really want to get into it because it, it irks me in what I feel. But for those of you listening, episode 67 is, the live edition is in the books. The podcast will continue here in just a moment. So once the live feed ends here, you'll know to listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and zoom on all the way to the end to, to listen to my rant and, and my conversation piece of what I want to say. Um, but for that, episode 67 is in the books. We recap Super Bowl 50. Episode 68 will be tomorrow, same time, same place. And we will be back in just a second. Absolutely, just a second. Thank you again for listening. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy basketball, people. Be right back. So those of you listening now on the podcasted edition of the Hooper's Log uh, an Apple on Apple Podcast or through the Block Talk Radio Studios, um, Again, my name is Simo Buckets, and I'm still here on episode 67. This is a podcasted edition that is, that is past the live edition on the show, but I really wanted to talk about this. And for what it's worth, I really wanted, really wanted to kind of bring this up in the show, but we obviously talked more about the Super Bowl than I anticipated, and that's totally fine. Um, I was listening to the show. So obviously yesterday was Super Bowl 50. Uh, there was a lot going on in the world of sports, uh, just, you know, when it came to the Super Bowl conversation and all that. And I was listening to sports talk radio coming back from softball practice. For those of you who don't know, I play on a softball team where we're really competitive and we're trying to get to the World Series next this, year, this upcoming year uh, in Austin. That's the goal. Now, I don't know if we'll necessarily do, but that's the goal, and we're shooting to do that. I am really competitive in my softball. The point is, we, I went to practice. I was leaving practice to go home to watch the Super Bowl and uh, with my girlfriend and all that stuff and, and, and enjoy the great food and all that, all that good stuff. And as I was listening on the radio, people were talking about the Oklahoma City and Thunder game the night before, and they mentioned how Steph Curry has his jersey hanging up in the Carolina locker room, and how him having his jersey hanging up in the locker room is like, man, how good does this guy have it? He, he, is, he is on the best team. He's the best player on the best team in the NBA, and he's the MVP of the league. He has his jersey on the best team in football at the time before we didn't know Carolina would lose, but... He's, he's going to be the drummer boy to lead, to lead them out on the field for the Carolina Panthers. And he's basically untouchable. He's basically an untouchable commodity in the, in the world of sports and in the world of our, our, our nation right now. And the one thing that they started getting into, and, that, and, that, and that's a pretty fair take to say, the guy is an unbelievable. Steph Curry, I don't like Steph Curry, and this might indicate for why I have this idea and this, and this, and this, this take on this situation that I'm about to talk about. But then they started getting into the whole, this guy is kind of an untouchable commodity. He's a great example. He's a great human being. He's a great this. He's a great that. People didn't like MJ when he was great because of all the stuff he did off the court. People didn't like Allen Iverson off the court because of the things he did. People don't really like Cam Newton because of his attitude. People don't really like, people don't really like, and then they mentioned how Steph Curry is really the perfect person. And then they talked about how, one of the radio hosts mentioned how he is kind of used, because this was a Warriors and 49ers fan talking on the radio, and he mentioned how, how Steph Curry in his household, for his kids, is used as an example. Now, when he started talking about that and going into detail about Steph Curry and how great he is and all that kind of stuff, look, I'm never going to deny Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in NBA history. I'm never going to deny that. But when it comes to using people as examples, look, and I know this is going to get a little preachy, and I apologize, but it all comes from really a common thread and a common thing that we, need to, we really need to step back and take back. First of all, the media really glorifies people to an extent these days to the point where they're almost like godlike figures. They are. 
Michael Jordan was looked that way. There's other players in sports. Peyton Manning has slowly looked like that. There's other players in sports that have been viewed that way because of their reputation and the kind of people they are or how great they are at their sport. And for one reason or another, that's just how it works. Here's the reason why I don't want people to look at Steph Curry as an example in their household. First of all, just because Steph Curry is perfect doesn't make him an example. It makes him look like he's someone that we want to all achieve to be, which is fine. He's a great human being. He's a great player. He's great at his craft. He is overall humble, overall. Now, on the court is a different story, but overall as a human being, he's humble. Outstanding, great person, great this, great this, great that. Here's what I want to say to you, for those of you listening. Again, this might come into the way, and I feel the same way about guys like Peyton Manning or guys who've also been looked at as, you know, godlike figures are great, so great to the point where we just overlook their flaws. First of all, the only person who's perfect on this planet is God, and he's not even on this planet technically, you know, from a, I guess you want to say scientific perspective or whatever. But for those of you that understand, the only person that is perfect is God. So for us to have Steph Curry as an example in our household is not fair and is not correct and is not, is not right. Reason being, and this is where I come from this, I'm not saying this because I don't like Steph Curry. I'm saying this from an overall perspective. I wouldn't use Peyton Manning as an example in my household. I wouldn't use anybody else who's ever been perfect in my household other than, other than God. Reason being, we're humans. We all have flaws. We all make mistakes. We all do things. It doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't matter who you are. Everyone is going to do something that you don't like. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you like Steph Curry or you don't like him or you do like this person or that person or what. Everyone on this planet will do something that you don't like, which makes them, which, which doesn't make them perfect. Nobody is perfect. Now, the people I would use in my household for the reasons I would say are guys like Randy Moss, Allen Iverson, uh, maybe I wouldn't even use Tom Brady because Tom Brady isn't even that bad of a dude, but people try to perceive him that way, but the media wants to change his persona to make it seem like he's a villain. When in reality, he's not. Um, but the point is, is I would use those guys. First of all, I grew up being a Randy Moss fan. Reason being, I grew up in a household where we knew, you know, I wouldn't say we're preachy and that we go to church and all that stuff, but we, we understand the morals and we understand the basis behind things. No one's perfect. God put us on this planet because we're not perfect. Because he sacrificed his begotten son for our imperfections so that we can stay humans and make mistakes and learn from them and move forward and get remorse. Steph Curry is not a perfect human being. The guy has never been a perfect human being. He never has been, you know. But people make him out to be like he is, and if you say crap about him, you're automatically shunned. Why? Why? Why should you be shunned when you talk stuff about Steph Curry? The guy before, the, a couple years ago, was a guy with fragile ankles and would never make it in the NBA because he was so fragile. Now he's all of a sudden a top 25 player of all time in some people's minds and a guy who's the greatest player to ever play besides Michael Jordan. Why? Why do we, why do we jump to that conclusion? You know what? I don't make people like that my example. Now his work ethic and his, and his, and his manners and who he is and his morals – they're all set and they're all stone, but so are other players. But the thing is, is I don't want to use in my household a perfect example, a perfect person as an example in my household. The reason being is because it sets you up for failure with your kids or anybody else you know because, oh, Steph Curry on a mantle. 
Because guess what? This is what you want to shoot for in life. No, you don't want to shoot to be Steph Curry. You know why? Because Steph Curry is doing something that you will never be able to do in a given field. Now, if you are so great at your field, great. Be that way. But don't ever shoot to be like Steph Curry all the way because guess what? This guy has a lot more pressure on him than you think right now. And on top of that, the guy is not all glitz and glam and perfection. There's a lot of media hype around what he does. On top of, he's so perfect that if your kid does make a mistake, a big one, and I'm talking like, you know, makes a, like a big, like fails a test and fails a class and drops out of college or, you know, any other, you keep moving forward. Steph Curry's never done that. So you would say that, you know, you haven't lived up to the Steph Curry mantra. What I'm trying to say is if you put people at high, high pedestal positions, you set yourself up for failure because you look up to them because you want to be like them and you want to be perfect. If you strive to be perfect, you're not striving to be the word of God. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be preaching. I really am. But it's one of those things where if you really want to really look at the nitty gritty, the people you should make examples in your life are the people who have made massive failures but who have been successful. Perfect example, Allen Iverson. I loved Allen Iverson because he wasn't perfect, but he played the game at a level that you could respect for his size and for who he was and what he did on the basketball court. Off the court, you wanted to, be, you wanted to not be that person, but that is something you can learn from. At your job, you wanted to be like Allen Iverson. Off the court, you didn't want to be like him. You use him as an example of something, when to do something the right way and when not to do something the right way. And I know he's, in, he's hot in the media right now, but Cam Newton. You want to play with Cam Newton's pizzazz, but off the field when you lose, you want to have, you want to have a mentality like Russell Wilson. You don't want to be like Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson's not perfect, but he takes on this persona like he needs to be. Randy Moss. You want to be like Randy Moss because you want to be as talented and as good as Randy Moss in your field, but you want to put more effort forth than Randy Moss did at certain times of his career. You don't want to choose when and, when and where to take games off because that's not professional and that's not the right way. What I'm saying is don't put Steph Curry as an example in your household because he's perfect. Don't make perfection an example in your household unless it's God because the only person that is perfect is, the only person that is, perfect is God. Outside of that, it's all a manipulation of the thinking that a certain individual is the perfect example. Because no person is the perfect example. Everyone has their flaws. And the moment Steph Curry comes out with a flaw, which some way or another there will be a flaw made about him, and someone a lot of people won't like him for, it'll eventually happen. He will then drop off that mantelpiece as your example in your household. And then where do your morals stand as a human being if you drop a perfect guy off your mantle? in your household as perfection. You know who I will always keep in my household when I have my own household as the main characters of, of, of sports figures that I would say use him as an example into what to do and what not to do? Guys like Randy Moss, guys like Cam Newton, guys like Allen Iverson, guys like, uh, guys like uh, who, who, Barry Bonds, guys like Roger Clemens. Tell the truth. Don't be like Roger Clemens. Work hard. Don't be like Randy Moss. Um, you know, uh, uh, don't beat women, you know, you know, be a good guy. Don't be like Greg Hardy, you know, play hard like Greg Hardy. Don't be like Greg Hardy off the, off the football field. Don't be like Allen Iverson off the football field. Don't be like Ty Cobb on the baseball field. 
Do you see where I'm coming from? Be great, but don't be like this. Don't be perfect. Understand you're not perfect. Understand that there's room for error. Understand that there is room to fail. But don't strive to be Steph Curry and be perfect. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter we've ever seen. Is he the greatest player we've ever seen? No. Is he a great person? Yes. But don't strive to be like Steph Curry in every way, the way he plays the game and the way he is as a person, because you'll never live up to that. Because how we view him now is that he has no flaws when he does. You see what I'm saying? You need to view people as though they have flaws to make you a better person as an individual. That's common sense. It's common sense in my mind. It's common sense. should be in your mind. Steph Curry is a great human being. But don't make him the mantelpiece because the moment he falls off and isn't perfect and there's flaws that get, get, get created because everyone has flaws. Everyone's flaws get, get, get shown at some point or another. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you're at, what you are. Your flaws will get shown. Person an example because they're perfect. Make a perfect, maybe make a, a person an example, a perfect example for their flaws. Because if you make Steph Curry an example because he's perfect, you're setting your household up for failure because you're setting up a high bar that is unreachable. Make a bar reachable. Make, change the bar over time, but don't ever make the bar unreachable because then the setup for failure is always there. You always want to have that setup for failure to be a learning curve, not a process of you didn't do it and shame. That's where you start to learn, lose. That's where you start to lose the value of an example. Because an example should be something you take from, not something that you, you create and can never achieve. God should be the only perfect example in your household. And, I'm not, and, and if you don't believe in God, that's totally fine. That is totally okay. There's nothing wrong with not believing in God. I do because I've seen things in my life where I know God is real. But if you don't, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't make Steph Curry your example in your household because he's not perfect. And the moment he falls off and is not a perfect example anymore, what are you going to do in your household? I'm just saying. That's, um, my name is Simo Buckets. If you'd like to call, t t tweet me, text me, call me, whatever on this topic, please feel free. I'll talk about it more later. Uh, again, my name is Simo Buckets. Episode 67 is in the books. Episode 68 tomorrow, same time, same place. We'll be talking about TNT Tuesday because obviously we got the All-Star Game coming up soon, and we'll be talking about all that stuff. Again. Thank you so much again for listening. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy your Monday.